Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. So one afternoon, when I was eight years old, my mom sat my brother and I down and handled us a uh, duffel bag filled with our clothes. And she said, if your father comes home drunk tonight and we begin to fight and argue and he begins to hit me again, I don't want you to try to stop it this time. I want you to grab this bag and I want you to sneak out the garage and I want you to go down to your friend's house and stay there. I've, I've set it all up and I just want you to do this. And so that night, my dad came home, he was drunk, they started to fight, the hitting began, and as much as we wanted to stop it, we just grabbed the bag, we wanted to listen, and we started stinking out the garage, and sneaking through, and just as we got to the driveway, we hear the door open, get back in here. And we're like crouched down, hidden behind uh, the car, and, and finally we hear my mom say, it, it's okay, forget the plan, come back in. And so we grab the bag and we go back in, and we go to our room, we shut the door, and then the fighting continues. That next day, my mom shows up at my school, and she checks me out, and I say, what's going on? She goes, we're leaving. And I'm like, where are we going to go? We're going to go to a shelter. And so I get into this car with some people I knew, some people I didn't know, and we start driving to this other city and to this other school. And I remember thinking, like being confused, I was kind of sad, but I also felt this huge relief. I was like, are we actually going to be free? Are we going to be able to start a new life without my dad? See, right now, there is an epidemic of fatherlessness in our culture. It's actually so severe, we're called the fatherless generation. It, it all started back in the 60s and 70s. They called it the sexual revolution. And we hear this uh, real famous phrase from that, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Now, it has a really catchy song that goes along with it, and we, we sing along with it, but really it's a, a simple depiction of the breakdown of family. And the effects of this revolution and our culture are actually quite staggering. Like, one in three children are fatherless. That's 33%. Some ethnic backgrounds, it's up to 70%, 50%, where in the 1950s, it was 4%. 85 to 90% of inmates in prison come from a fatherless home. 90% of all homeless and runaways. 71% of high school dropouts. They have four times greater risk of poverty, seven times greater risk of teen pregnancy, and the list goes on. When we talk about a family of the future, there's a huge assault on family, specifically on fathers. Now, this is not to overlook 
the immense role that mothers play in the family. Mothers play a crucial role, but the reality is the mothers aren't the ones leaving, typically. The fathers are. Now, I know when some of us hear statistics like this, like I know my mind, my mind just begins to swirl and I think of myself as like about a dad. Am I pouring into my kids enough? Am I doing enough for them or am I so engrossed in my work and in ministry that I'm ignoring what's going on in their life? Now I know some of you are like, Daniel, you're, but you're a pastor. I'm like, well, yeah. And if you knew some pastor kids' stories about their family dynamics, you might be shocked. <laughs> yeah. I know some of us are single parents in here. And when you hear stats like that, you might start to panic a little bit. Like, are my kids going to be one of those statistics? And I know some of us have come out of some very abusive relationships and abusive fathers, abusive spouses, and the thought of bringing that person back into your life is just kind of crazy and dangerous. So that can't happen. And I know when some of us think about even reconnecting with our father, we might feel a little bit like this. No, I am your father. Search your feelings, you know it to be true. No! No! Now, I want to bring a little levity to a very heavy topic. But I also know the reality is some of the fathers are kind of like Darth Vader. I mean, in, in all reality. Now, I don't want to suggests that reconciliation and redemption is, is not God's heart because it totally is to forgive and all of that. But what if that's not possible face to face? What if it's not possible to bring that person, it's dangerous to bring that person back into your life? Or, or for me, my father had already passed away before I came to know Jesus. So if I needed to reconcile with him face to face, that was just impossible. You know, back to my story a little bit. My dad did eventually find us. And he begged my mom to come back. He said, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm, I'm actually going to change. And it just shows you how complicated these situations are because my mom didn't want our family to break apart. So she finally agreed. And, you know, there were some changes, but the reality is there was still some abuse. And it, growing up, it was kind of like I didn't have a father. So what do we do to redeem this? You see, the first step in fixing a fatherless generation is not me trying to be a better father or, or reconciling with our fathers. Now, those are important steps. But the first step is for every single one of us to become sons because sons reveal the father. Now, I know that might be a little confusing, so I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. Would you just pray with me? Lord, we just invite you, teacher, guide, we invite the spirit of sonship into this room right now. We thank you, Lord, for opening our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, that you want to change this fatherless generation. We invite you, Lord. Amen. Now, I want to give a little aside before I break this down a little bit. Men, you are part of the bride of Christ. And so I just wanted to tell you, you're looking beautiful today. <laughs> Women... You are sons of God. The word is actually gender neutral. So men, you're part of the bride, and women, you are sons. All right, so now Galatians 4. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out, my father, intimately, you're our true father. You see, when the spirit of sonship is released into our hearts, we actually reveal the father. So what is sonship? I love what Jack Frost, how he defines this. He says, sonship is a heart that feels at rest and secure in God's love. It believes it belongs. It is free from shame and self-condemnation. It walks in honor toward all people. It is subject to God's mission to experience his love and give it away. You see, the more we receive our sonship, the more we immerse ourselves in the spirit of his son, the more we reveal the father to the hurting world around us. How does the family of the future get rid of the fatherless generation? It's be, we become sons of the future because in the process of becoming a son, we actually reveal the father. Now I wanna give you a little context. Putty shared this last week. He said that Jesus came to reveal the father and now as the body of Christ, we're here to reveal the father too. And I thought that was so good. We actually see Jesus say this. In John 14, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. But see, Jesus takes us a little deeper. In that very same chapter, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now that's really important. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now here we go. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. You see, what Jesus did on the cross didn't just make a way to get us to the Father. Now, he did do that. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, so we don't need any of the other stuff, we just need Jesus, so that's really important, but it's not complete. You see, Jesus didn't just pay to get us to the Father, he actually paid to get the Father in to us. You see, in that day, which is right now, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. You know, we say this a lot, that Jesus is not just an example for us, he's an example of us. And Jesus modeled the perfect relationship with the Father. He was the perfect son. And see, that relationship, that is what enabled him to reveal the Father, to be able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, so this is the backdrop to the verse in Galatians. Let's read it again. And because we are sons, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my Father, you're our true Father. The more we immerse ourselves in the spirit of sonship, the more our whole lives cry out, you're our true father, this is the father, we reveal the father. At least that's the goal. So part of how Jesus has been immersing me in sonship in my life is actually through raising my three sons. Here's a pic of my family, my beautiful wife Katie and I. And let me just say that raising boys is quite adventurous. 
And if you have boys, you understand there is really not a lot of downtime. It's like kind of crazy all the time. And, you know, we wanted our kids' names to mean something, so we named them all prophets. And Nathan's name means gift from God. And, you know, Nathan is such a gift. In so many way, more ways than one, like Katie actually got healed of infertility, so Nathan came as this gift. But, you know, through raising him, God has taught me a lot about sonship. Because you know what, as parents, we have no idea what we're doing. I mean, parents, especially with the first one, you're just like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, how do we get him to go to sleep? I have no idea. How do we keep him from destroying everything? I just don't know. And so I would ask the Holy Spirit, like, how, how, do, we, how, how do we do this? And you know what? He would actually tell me things, and they would work. I couldn't believe it. You know, Katie's this avid researcher and reader, and she would be like, oh, my gosh, that's what the experts say to do. And I realized, wow, God, you're actually fathering me to father. And the more I become a son and listen to you, I'm actually becoming a father. I'm revealing the father. So cool. Like, Elijah means God is my strength. And, you know, Elijah, there's so much to love about him. He has this personality that everybody loves. But his teacher at school was telling us the story that there's this one kid there that uh, has a lot of behavioral issues. And it's so bad that it actually disrupts the whole class and he gets in trouble a lot. So this one day, this kid was acting up again and he could, just couldn't control himself. And it, it was just like really bad. And so he tells the teacher, he says, can I go stand by Elijah? Because every time I stand by Elijah, I feel better. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. And he stood by him, and then all this peace just fell over him. And I was like, wow, God, you're actually flowing through my son already. Like there is no junior Holy Spirit. And he was teaching me to trust, trust him with my son. Like teaching me that, you know, he's already working in him and through him. And, you know, sonship is a lot about trust. And then three years ago, Little Malachi came along, and Malachi's name means messenger of God, and Malachi's a little fiery, he's very loud, and as you can see from the picture, he's really cute, and he knows it. <laughs> you know, so we're walking in the U of I bookstore, and uh, Amazon store there, and I kid you not, 10 to 15 people, as we're walking in, they're like, oh, you're so cute. I mean, I'm just like, it was like a little overwhelming. I'm like, he's not famous or anything, and maybe you don't see three-year-olds very often. But, you know, as this was happening, I was just like, wow, just kind of in awe of it. And God reminded me of the call of Malachi's life. It comes right actually from Malachi 4. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And God was reminding me of his heart that he is going to reunite the fatherless generation. You see, children can teach you so much about sonship. But you know, when I look at my kids, my healing and redemption in my life is not going to come from me trying to be a better father than my dad was to me. Now, I want to be a good dad. But the real healing and redemption is going to come from me embracing my sonship and revealing their true father so that they become sons of him. So, yeah, that's something to clap about. See, that they would know that they're accepted, that they're worth it, that they're worthy, right? That they have a powerful call on their life. And maybe most important, is that they would hear it directly from him. 
Now, I want to make this caveat because it's not because I'm married and have sons that this is possible. You see, whether you are married or single or male or female, when we embrace our sonship and we reveal our true father to others, we help them become sons. And that's what eradicates fatherlessness. Because he is a father that will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never fail you. He will never abandon you. That's the father we have. But this is actually bigger than a family issue. It's actually a societal issue. See, in the context of all this, why does Jesus say, I won't leave you as orphans? There's other places throughout the Bible he says, I will not leave you or forsake you. And even in the Great Commission, he says this, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like, why is he telling us this over and over? Because he knows that there's another father on the field. You see, this father has lots of names, but one of his names is the father of lies. He is actually a master of deception. And the number one thing he still has power to do is to make us doubt who we are. That we're sons and daughters of God. And if he can do this, we begin to feel just like him, an orphan. I mean, how many of us have ever dealt with jealousy? I mean, I'm raising my hand. That's right. Competitiveness. You compare yourself to others. Maybe you're in an environment or you're around certain people and you always feel less than. You're always feeling kind of rejected or, or jealous or uh, it, you always kind of feel alone even though you're surrounded by people. This is the orphan spirit. And it's actually influenced by the orphan himself, the father of lies. Putty talked a lot about the little G gods last week and how the little G gods actually have a lot of influence in our culture. And you can just look at the news today and you can see the impact of the orphan spirit that is fathering our nation right now. It's crazy. So what do we do about that? I love what Jack Frost says. <coughs> he says, when wanting to cast out an orphan heart, Remember that you can displace it only by introducing it to a loving father. Even then, an orphan heart must choose to embrace the spirit of sonship. This is not a once and for all choice. You choose sonship over and over because orphan thinking doesn't surrender easily. And it often comes back and tries to assert its influence once again. Now look at this. The orphan spirit tries to constantly to weaken our families, relationships, and the nations by deceiving us into becoming subject to our own mission rather than living life to experience God's love and to give it away. Hold on one second. All right, I'm back. You see, the number one enemy to the family of the future, the number one enemy to becoming sons that reveal the father is the orphan spirit. And it's something that actually has to be displaced over and over again. So I want to take a rest of our time, and I want to talk about how to do that. 
Because this has been very, very powerful life in my life, and I want to talk about one way in three parts that this has helped me dramatically. And that one way is that we need to embrace our significance. You need to embrace your worth and your value. You need to embrace who God says you are. You know, embrace right now. Come on, embrace yourself. You know, in high school when we didn't have a date, we used to just, we used to just dance with ourselves and just embrace ourselves. You, so you are welcome for that visual now. We need to embrace our significance. You see, the first thing Jesus hears when he comes out of the water after being baptized, he hears a voice from heaven say, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. You see, before Jesus did anything for God, his significance is affirmed. His identity, this is my son. His relationship, whom I love, my beloved, and his destiny. Before he does anything, he gets an A. God is already pleased with him. I mean, this is the three-in-one gospel, the good news. It's so good. I call it the threefold affirmation. But you see, Jesus, when he's walking on the earth, he takes us a little deeper. And he tells us probably the most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, it's actually really the parable of a loving father. That's really what it reveals. And so many of you know this story. There's two sons. The younger son comes to the father and he asks for his inheritance right now. And in that day, that actually meant kind of him saying, I wish you were dead. Talk about an orphan spirit. Now, now here is the more shocking thing. The father gives it to him. The father gives him the inheritance. This is a, a big clue of the lavish heart of God. He gives freely, and he even gives, even if there's a potential for it to go the wrong way. He doesn't hold back. So he gives it to him. And we know the story. The, the, the son leaves, and he, he blows all the money. He wastes all the money on partying and wild living. And then there's this famine that sweeps the land. And then he finds himself working for a pig farmer. Okay? And for a Jewish person to work for a pig farmer, they're not even allowed to touch pigs, so this is this huge disgrace. And finally, he comes to his senses, and he realizes, what am I doing? This, even the slaves and the servants in my father's house are treated better than I am right now. So he decides, he, he kind of rehearses this speech, I'm going to go back to my father and just say, make me a servant of yours. I'm not worthy to be a son. And here's the best part. He says he was going back, and the father's looking, and while he was still a far distance away off, the father runs to the son and embraces him. Then, then the son starts to say, I have sinned against you and God. I'm not even worthy to be. And he's like, no, 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 no. Bring me my best robe. Puts it on him. Bring me my ring. Give sandals to his shoes. My son was lost, but now he's found. Take the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. We are going to celebrate because he was gone, but now he's here. It's a, it's a powerful picture of the father's heart. But you see, this embrace is actually really significant. You see, orphans believe there is no way to come back once you've made a mistake. That you're just too unworthy. But you see, it's not your distance from God that matters. Some of you may be far away from God right now. It's your direction toward him that matters. 
And the Father will always come to meet you right where you're at. Some of you need to hear that right now. He's going to meet you right where you're at. That is the heart of the Father. It's a powerful picture. But similarly to the threefold affirmation, there's a threefold restoration. And the orphan spirit must be displaced over and over in all three areas. You know, I told you a little bit of my story at the beginning. And, you know, growing up was just kind of rough. Like, there was just several things that happened to me, and it really kind of messed me up. And because of those things, plus several decisions that I made on my own, I spent a lot of time trying to fill the void in my heart. Like, there was this emptiness. This emptiness there. And I tried drugs and partying and pornography and just all these things that I thought maybe were helping, but they were actually killing me. And I had all these opportunities to come to know Jesus, but I always thought it was like too good to be true or not, I just didn't feel worthy. I was just felt like I was too far gone. You see, orphans think God is this master, this authoritarian, but really, God is this loving father. And so, this is why the father says, bring me the best robe, because what he's saying is, I've got you covered. Like, all that sin, all that rebellion, all the things that you did wrong is actually covered. This, this is what Jesus is foreshadowing that he's going to pay for. Look what Isaiah 61 says. I love this. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You know, isn't it interesting that he didn't even acknowledge the apology? He had already forgiven him. He, he immediately restores right relationship. No, you are worth it. This is my gift. You are, here's the robe of righteousness. This is a gift. See, orphans, we think we've blown it. Like there's no redeeming, there's actually no coming back, there's no turning back, but that is just the father of lies. And I think this is for a few of you in here today, that you need to receive the robe that the Lord is giving you. That all you have to do is believe, and it says that you have the right to become children of God. You need to receive that robe, that, that he actually says you're worth it, that he went to the cross to prove that you are valuable that you are worth it. See, the enemy wants to, you to believe that you are your mistakes. But that's a lie. That's from the father of lies. See, you are a son, and he's covered every mistake you've made. And when we receive the robe, we actually displace the orphan. Then he says, put a ring on his hand. Now, in this act, he's actually restoring the son's authority. In that time, and you maybe know this from the Old Testament, Joseph and Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives Joseph the ring, and he gives him authority over all of Egypt, only second to Pharaoh. You see, what the father is doing here is he's restoring his ability to rule and to reign. You see, it actually goes right back to the garden. The original intent for us is to rule and to reign on the earth. This is actually our destiny. For me, part of my destiny was music. But when I came to know Jesus, I actually didn't want anything more to do with music. I just thought that was too self-centered. It was too part of my old life, and I just wanted nothing to do with it. But you see, the orphan heart is tricky. And it makes you think if you use something the wrong way, you've sabotaged it. 
But you see, God is like, no, no, no. I made you to do this. Maybe you were using it the wrong way, but now I'm going to show you what it looks like to use this gift under my authority. You know, it's interesting, talking about a ring, that my wife Katie and I actually got tattoos as, as our wedding rings. Well, Katie also got a diamond, because let's be real, girls got to have diamonds. But our wedding rings can't be removed. They can't be removed. There's no way to, to, to remove these. And so we have to think the same way with the ring of authority, that God is the one who gave you the authority, and no one else can take it away. That's right. He said his gifts and callings are irrevocable. That's Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. It's amazing how much scripture is about this. Some of you feel that you may be restored, like, okay, I'm going to heaven, but you feel like your effectiveness here on earth has been stripped away because of your mistakes. But God is saying, no, 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 no. I've given you the ring, and it can't be removed. I'm restoring your authority, your calling, and you need to receive it. See, when we receive the ring, we displace the orphan. The last thing he does is put sandals on his feet. And I always thought, well, that's kind of weird that he's putting sandals on the feet. But then I found out that servants and slaves don't actually wear shoes back then. But sons and daughters do. You see, he's restoring his relationship, his sonship. And actually, in that time, shoes actually symbolized a transfer of ownership. So he's basically saying, what's mine is now yours. Where you walk, it's yours. Blessed are the feet who bring the good news. See, I believe some of us still feel barefoot with God. We think we're servants to a master, and he wants us to be sons to a loving father. You see, when we embrace our significance in these three areas, the orphan spirit has no way in. There's no way for him to get in. And when we're able to, to walk in our sonship so powerfully that you reveal the father, that gets rid of fatherlessness. But in this last bit of time, there's another son in the story that I want to address. Because I believe this is really important because you don't have to have a wild past to deal with the orphan spirit. You see, the older son comes back and he sees, <clears throat> hold on one sec. All right, Sullivan, thanks for staying with me. I'm coughing just a little bit. Let me try this again. <clears throat> You see, the other son comes back, and he sees this party going on, all this celebration, and he gets so angry, he refuses to go in. And so the father comes out, and it says that the father actually pleads with him, come in and celebrate. And he's like, you know, all this time, I have never left you. I've actually slayed for you. I've been so faithful to you, and you have never thrown a party like that for me. And the father was like, my son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. You see, one of the biggest tests of our sonship is when there's favor on someone else's life. The coworker gets the credit. 
that other business is doing better than your business. Maybe someone's gifted like you and they get more opportunity than you do. You see, orphans continually compare. They're, they're jealous. They're angry. It's not fair. And you see, the older son found himself serving out of obligation. He's, he said, I, I slayed for you, and his heart became closed. And he forgot that he was already wearing the robe, the ring, and the sandals. He says, all that I have is yours. You see, when we close off our heart, we actually close off our access to heaven because we can't even see that it's there. You see, we have this amazing opportunity to eradicate fatherlessness in our generation. We have an amazing opportunity. And I know some of you thinking here, what can I do? But what you don't realize is you have authority in your workplace. You have authority in your neighborhoods. You have authority in your family and your extended family. And when you start to embrace your significance, when you receive that robe of righteousness, when you receive the ring, when you receive the sandals, you displace that orphan spirit and you start to make change. Change that changes the world. That's the family of the future. That's sons of the future. And so, would you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you right now. Would you all just stand? Lord, I thank you right now for your presence, Lord. That you're calling your sons home. You're calling your daughters home that their heart would be so open to you. I just release the spirit of sonship into this room. Lord, I thank you that you want to eradicate fatherlessness in this generation, that we will, we will not be called a fatherless generation. Will we, be, we will be called a father-filled generation. I thank you, Lord, that every single person plays a role in this. And so right now, Lord, as we worship you, as we fix our attention on you, I thank you, Lord, that the power is going to come. The freedom is going to come. We bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.